Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 3, Episode 13. A couple of days ago, one of my colleagues and I put on an employee development seminar. Because of the current situation, we had to move this one to online delivery, so we offered it virtually and in real time. We had over 40 people participating, and after it was over, we got a batch of thank you notes from some of the folks who were there. One of the notes included the observation that this participant thought she was doing really well in this area, but our presentation showed her some areas where she found room for growth. Now, what impressed me was that who this note came from. It was one of those confident, competent people who I've always looked to as a role model. She could easily have been teaching this class, but she demonstrated a level of humility that's rare these days. She participated in the session, even though she didn't have to, and along the way, she recognized some new developmental opportunities. And at the end, she said thank you. See, I wanted to share that because her attitude demonstrates something important. It forms a natural follow-up to episode 12 on what shapes you. At some point, the things that shape you come out in the way you act, make decisions, think, and work. And this woman obviously has great character, and that character showed itself in who she is. So in episode 12, we talked about what shapes you, and this time around, I want you to think about one key question. What makes you do the right thing? Before we launch into this, I have something to say to you, personally. This is not easy material to consider. So if you really think about it and work to apply it to your life, uh, it'll be tough. I like to point out that God made us whole people, and we can't separate our emotions from our intellect, our physical health from our creativity, our spiritual life from our work. You just can't do it. At the same time, while God intends us to be whole and healthy, we're not always at the same place in every aspect of our lives. There may be things where you're aware of your inadequacies, but there may be places where you think you're doing just fine, and that's okay. If you're prone to beating yourself up, give yourself a little mercy. If you're prone to thinking you're pretty polished, well, maybe you should beat yourself up a bit. None of us are finished products, no matter how much we wish that that were the case. So have you ever thought about this for yourself? What makes you do the right thing? No, seriously, when you're faced with some kind of choice, do you do the right thing? Well, why? Or why not? See, there's a model of human development uh, by Lawrence Kohlberg where he talks about pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional moral development. Don't tell Professor Kohlberg, but I'm going to talk about this in more accessible terms. Now, I'm also borrowing some ideas from William Perry and James Fowler, just giving credit where credit is due. So instead of using Kohlberg's labels, I'm going to borrow some terminology from T.S. Eliot. In his poem, Choruses from the Rock, uh, he brings up some interesting points, and I I want to read a snippet of it to you. The endless cycle of idea and action, endless invention, endless experiment, bring knowledge of motion, 
but not of stillness, knowledge of speech, but not of silence, knowledge of words, and ignorance of the word. All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. All our ignorance brings us nearer to death, but nearness to death, no nearer to God. Where is the life we have lost in living? Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? The cycles of heaven in 20 centuries bring us farther from God and nearer to the dust. End quote. Eliot, long before Kenneth Boulding started the work that led to our understanding of data, knowledge, information, and wisdom as a standard taxonomy of information, well, Eliot understood that. Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? I'm going to use Kohlberg's categories, but I'm going to use information, knowledge, and wisdom to break down our development and to help you understand this material so that you can apply it to your own life and growth. Um, I think I'm obligated to say here that I don't know of anyone who has approached this material quite in this way, so I'm synthesizing ideas from several authors and adding some of my own spin. So hopefully that'll give you something that's actually useful to you. Uh, incidentally, academics hate it when people use hopefully that way, so hopefully they'll excuse me. So let's talk about the first level of moral development. Kohlberg calls it pre-conventional, but I'm calling it information. When we are at this information level of moral development, the focus is on me. It's on the self. We have the information. We know what the rules are. We follow the rules. We do what's expected. Because we know that if we don't, there will be consequences. Information level growth views all of life in terms of if-then scenarios. Restraint is built on if I do such and such, then the result will be X. This is a very common approach with kids, and it needs to be. If you run into the street, and if you've ever seen that scenario play out, parents who are deeply opposed to spanking suddenly discover its efficacy. Why? Because actions earn consequences. People in this level either respond out of fear of retribution or out of hope of reward. See, this can be either positive or negative, but the person at this level responds purely out of self-interest. I will do what I must to avoid the negative or to achieve the positive. I'll talk about maturity in general in a future episode, but let me point out here the obvious. This is a very immature approach to life. There are certainly better ways to develop an ethical framework than self-interest. Now, the information level of moral reasoning creates an unintended set of checks and balances. In other words, is the risk high enough or the reward great enough to justify non-compliance? It becomes a way for people to justify their actions based on the value and merit of their behavior against the positive or negative results. Authority tends never to be questioned because it is, well, it's authority. The more compliant nervous types are often the rule followers. They know the rules and they know who put them there. They follow without questioning, again, out of fear of the consequences. They're often defensive and aggressively so because they're just following the rules. That's the follower. But what about the leaders? You know, a leader with this moral approach would tend to view the word in the world in terms of get all you can and would likely use his or her position primarily as a means for personal advancement. Uh, 
The rules are there to benefit them. They're also rule followers to a fault, but they often get to make the rules. And this means that other people are often just steps on the way to the top. Yeah, you've probably seen people like this. They're out there. The newspapers are full of them. And if you happen to work for one, well, you have my sympathy. They are the ones who take credit for your work, will do anything to advance their own position, and why not? It's all about them anyway. The next step, which Kohlberg calls conventional, and which I call knowledge, requires a bit more of us. At this level, folks have a little more sophisticated view. They recognize that they're part of a bigger system, whether that's society in general or within a particular organization. So instead of weighing the personal costs of noncompliance, people at this level are committed to meeting the expectations of that larger group. It's a matter of social responsibility to live as a responsible citizen and to do what's expected. You know how the system works. These folks view it as a moral failure to let someone down or to fail to meet the required standards of behavior. This is where organizational culture matters. If the prevailing culture is toward honesty and integrity, these people will live up to those standards. If the prevailing culture leans in other directions, well, the people will live up to those standards too. I can take you back about 20 years to the Enron scandal. That was a company that talked about integrity, but its internal culture didn't live out that integrity. Over and over, once the scandal broke, employees said things like, that was just how we did things, or that was what the company expected of us. Sometimes we follow along too easily without thinking our actions through. See, this is the connecting point to our previous episode about what shapes you. Most people live in this area, just following the crowd. Some studies suggest that as much as 70% of the population simply follows the rules because, well, they should. Now, if that doesn't concern you, well, it should. Finally, we get to the top level, the post-conventional, which I have dubbed wisdom. This is difficult because it requires something much deeper. It requires character, yes, but most importantly, it requires principles. As Bill George might put it, it requires a compass and a clear sense of true north. This kind of development does not happen by accident. Principles are hard fought. That's why I've chosen the word wisdom to describe this level. It's more than just having the knowledge and weighing every decision in a risk-benefit analysis. It's way more than consulting company policy manuals and, well, we've got to talk things over with legal... It's about developing a set of standards and saying this is ethical, this is what justice looks like, this is how compassion shows up in my work. It's about being driven not by current practice or culture in your organization, but by something deeper, a clear sense of right and wrong. This person looks like an independent free spirit, but they are not, at least not in the way we typically use those terms. These are people who stand against the crowd because wisdom demands it. They're the Abraham Lincolns, the Grace Hoppers, the Winston Churchills, the Bobby Kennedys, the Martin Luther Kings, the Nelson Mandelas, the Mother Teresas. You see, this is where spiritual development makes a huge difference. You don't get that kind of guts, that kind of clarity, that kind of courage by weighing risks or following the crowd. 
take some time to think about your own development, your own convictions. What principles do you stand on? I pondered this a lot. My goal with this podcast was, and is, to reach a diverse audience. I hope you don't have to think like I think to get some benefit from all of this. But at this point, I have to mention my faith. You know, when the late musician Rich Mullins sung about the Christian faith, he sung an ancient creed and added the words, I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, not the invention of any man. My Christian faith has formed me, and those internal convictions, well, they're shaped by the Bible. More than that, of course, but that was the starting point for me. As one biblical writer put it, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. My faith in Jesus Christ is the very thing that has shaped my principles and my convictions. Wisdom did not come easily for me. It was forged in me, with all the fire, hammer, and anvil that that implies. And I didn't do the hard work. It was God at work in me. Truth is, I'd rather hang out in information in the bottom of the scale, weighing the risks and benefits. But I can't do that. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and for me that was true. When I came to the realization that I was ultimately accountable to him, well, that was the open door for him to reshape my life. So if you come from a Christian background, great. If you come from a Christian background and have wandered away from that, let me encourage you to reconnect, to rebuild that relationship with the God of the universe. Find a solid church that still remembers the good news. Now, here's a quick summary, but as usual, I could talk all day about this. God created a good, good creation. Sin entered into that creation and, frankly, broke everything, including my ability to accurately assess risks and benefits. See, it's a painful world with real heartache, worse than most of us can really imagine. And God's response to all of that was to send Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to reconcile us to him. He was crucified by people just like you and me who wanted to be in control, who wanted to get ahead and did not want to hear the bad news about their sin and brokenness. But the good news is that Jesus rose from the dead, not for him, but for us to demonstrate that sin and death had been defeated. See, our hope, our way out of the mess we're in, is to turn to him, believe in him, trust him. You know, the beauty of Christianity is that we all believe that. Orthodox, Catholic, Reformed, Protestant, any church that calls itself Christian. That's where that compass, those principles and convictions, that, that's where it comes from. So ask yourself this, leader, are you ready to move from information to knowledge to wisdom? I hope so. If you really want to be a good leader, you need to work for something beyond yourself. A wise soul once said, if you haven't found anything you'd be willing to die for, you haven't really found anything to live for. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station.
Bye-bye.